The real benefit here is when you have multiple things working in your favor. Yeah. So when you just look at one thing, like just saving money on power because of cheaper energy, you've got the efficient washer dryer, whatever it is. American households are projected to save between $175 and $220 a year. But if you were to do a bunch of things, like replace your furnace with an electric version or install solar panels on your rooftop or change to an EV, now you're saving something like $1,800 a year. Now we now we cooking with grease yeah. and you're helping the planet at the same time. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today's episode is all about the perks of going green. Going green. I haven't heard that term in a long time. Really? Going green. Yeah. I'm excited to be talking about this because whenever we think about the long-term threats, shall I say, to our financial plan, we tend to think about things like rising health costs, you know, the absence of social security, all these other safety net programs that aren't really working well, housing, education costs, things like that. And for the most part, they're kind of hypothetical. It's kind of like looking at what's happening now and being like, that is not going to end well. But the reality is that climate change poses a far bigger threat to, to us than a lot of those things yeah. and it's not hypothetical like it's literally happening right now no, it's real and it's it's interesting because uh that we're talking about this for a variety of reasons so at the time of us recording this uh this is post a lot of the devastation that was caused by hurricane ian and so my father lives mm-hmm. in northport florida he's lived there for maybe 15 years now. And I believe it's like just north of Fort Myers, kind of sandwiched between Fort Myers and Tampa. And so he was not far from it. He stayed. He did have some damage, but luckily like it was not nearly as bad as what we saw in Naples and in Fort Myers. And even, uh, gosh, just the other day, I was watching a couple of documentaries uh, about, so one, there was one called Katrina Babies. They were Mm -hmm. talking about the fact that no one really talked or sort of followed up on all of the children that oh, were yeah. sort of that, pulled that out that of Hurricane moved. Katrina in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah, like let's follow up with them. Where are they now? How has that impacted them? I watched another one, which was Katrina related. Um, it was on Apple TV. It was called Five Nights at Memorial, which scary, <laughs> scary mm-hmm. series altogether. But again, like as we're talking about these things, like we're we're even now at a point where you know, these this, these things aren't just hitting the news cycle. Like, they're so prevalent. They're so a part of our culture that they are creeping into just regular media. Like, yeah. th- this is where we are, which yeah. is very different from, like, 20 years ago where these kinds of circumstances were really kind of, like, forced into the news. But now it's like, no, this is a part of life. Like, it happens. You could be watching Grey's Anatomy, and it's just like, yeah, because these things happen yeah. so frequently. Yeah. Uh, so it's really, really interesting with respect to our concerns over over climate change, it's also one of the reasons why we got rid of our real estate portfolio. I remember, you know, our old primary home and we'd go through the seasons and we would kind of see how the flooding and the water issues were sort of getting progressively worse. And there were a number of issues behind that, but it's just all these little things where it's Mm -hmm. like, wow, like I'm just noticing the seasons changing or the Mm -hmm. fact that we don't have four seasons anymore, whereas we used to. (laughs) And everyone's sort of, 
you know, uses, I think, Thanksgiving or, you know, the holiday season as a bit of a gauge. It was like, man, I remember it being colder. Yeah. Am I wearing shorts? Like, why am I wearing, <laughs> like, I'm wearing a tank top. You know, I'm grilling yeah. on Thanksgiving. Like We actually ate Thanksgiving outside last year. Ex- exactly. Because <laughs> like, it was so nice. Yeah. And then it was like, it was hot. Let's go inside. <laughs> you know, turn on the air conditioning. So, yeah. like, there's, like, a lot of these things are, like, we joke about it, but, like, it, it it's very real. And, and obviously, you know, there's a... This is a money podcast, and so there are financial implications to some of these things. And so the idea of, of going green is something that uh, is really important and is obviously very much tied to a way of kind of solving for some of these issues, or at least us contributing to the solution. Yeah, it's been interesting to see my own thinking on this kind of evolve over the years, because I remember growing up, it was just called global warming, and it was focused on That's like another melting ice this Caps. is what I mean. Like the language, it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's so prevalent that these the language has is oh evolving, yeah. Now it's called the time. climate crisis. It's Correct. not even called climate change because yeah. like it has changed. It's now a crisis. But yeah, I remember thinking it was just all about the polar bears. But now, to your point, it's about us. It's about oh, yeah. the physical environments that we operate in, like our cars and our houses. Now, before we jump into the to the episode, I do want to include a disclaimer that the point of this is not really to get political. No, we actually don't. <laughs> well, the political aspect, the political aspect is why climate change is happening. There are varying degrees and, and theories on whether this is normal, whether this is exacerbated by human behavior. Like that's where things get political. We don't have to actually agree on why it's happening. We can just acknowledge that it is happening, which I think most people can agree to. And there's lots of data to support that. But the point of this episode is, you know, to highlight some of the perks. To your point, this is a money podcast. So most of them, many of them are financial, financial perks of going green now. So long story short, the government has been throwing out some financial incentives to help kind of inch households towards lowering their carbon footprint. And so you can fight against the climate crisis and save money at the same time. Like yeah. why why wouldn't we talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, so you said we're not going to get political, but my literal first point is about uh, uh the inflation <laughs> reduction act. Well, that's not what people mean when they say get political. I know. I, know. <laughs> I made a joke. It was mm. not a good one. I know. That's fine. <laughs> I, I accept that. They can't all hit. So, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is also known as uh IRA, but I'm not going to do that cuz that's just going to make this even oh, more yeah. confusing. IRA obviously stands for indiv- or also stands for the individual retirement account. Um, so you will be hearing me say Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, you can just call it the Act. The Act. The Act. <laughs> anyway, the Act <laughs> passed uh, this summer, and it includes a combination of rebates and tax credits, right? This is something that has happened before, but this is a new Act, which was obviously, as the Act was named, passed to help combat inflation. And so according to one analysis, the new law offers tax credits that could save more than 100 million households $37 billion a year on their energy bills. So I want to take a step back a little bit and talk about energy because that's a word that is like very all-encompassing and I think can be a little bit confusing because we use that word like just as broadly as we do tech, not really realizing like what it means. But when inflation first began rising in early 2021, the main culprit was pandemic-related supply chain challenges. Correct. But 
Once Russia invaded Ukraine, it caused oil prices to spike, and this set off a series of issues. It was a huge problem for the U.S. because just about everything we buy and consume requires energy of some type, most of which is oil or comes from oil. It's easy to think of oil, though, as just like, you know, like most people, like oil, gas prices, like that sort of thing. But don't do that. Don't diminish like oil. Oh, yeah. Our dependency on oil. Correct. Like it's a lot bigger than just that, right? So even if you just think about the products that we see in stores all around the country, like how they get there, oil powers the boats and the trucks Mm -hmm. that move our packages. In some cases, they're actually in. It's a required ingredient that's Mm -hmm. in a lot of these packages. And so if you think about things like crops, they're planted, Uh, fertilized and harvested with diesel-powered tractors. And there's like just this domino effect that spreads to the grocery stores. And that's where it ultimately uh, affects us because that's what makes the cost of a lot of these goods so much more expensive. And so when you think about the cost to produce and just transport goods, and if that cost is rising, then that is then passed on to us as consumers, as purchasers, of these products. And that's why we're seeing uh, such high prices relative to what we were experiencing two years ago. And so there is a huge connection there. And that's a big reason why uh, the government passed the, in, or, see, I almost said it, Individual Retirement Act, <laughs> the Inflation Reduction Yeah, well, why Act. they why they squeezed in all of these climate incentives into the, yes. the act. Yes. <laughs> but where I think... And I went down a rabbit hole because of this episode, just thinking about climate change in general and how it's all connected and how, because in my mind, I couldn't equate how the invasion of the Ukraine, the war that Russia started, was affecting grocery prices. Like to to get all the way there (laughs) required a lot of like piecing together how the economy works and how dependent we are on fossil fuels. But where it gets really tricky is when you get into the electricity market, which as you may suspect, is strongly influenced by natural gas prices as well. So again, I'm not going to take you down the same rabbit hole I went down about wholesale electricity markets, but just know these two things. One, electricity inflation varies significantly by region. So if you are in New York or New England, you're already among the most expensive places in the country. You probably were shocked by your electricity bills this summer largely because of some of the stuff we're talking about. But if you're somewhere like Utah, Nevada, Louisiana, you're paying the lowest mm-hmm. electricity prices in the country. And so you this may not be as relevant to you. The second thing to know is that relief for all of this kind of pressure, this squeeze is probably coming, but it's not coming very soon. Uh, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is really the result of many, many factors. There are inherent conflicts of interest between energy companies and climate scientists. There's this sense of fatigue from Americans who are being told to give up things that they enjoy in order to save the planet. Like, that's a pretty lofty expectation to individuals. And in some cases, there's just a lack of humans who understand how to deploy the available technology. We've made all this progress. But if you wanted to build a net zero home, a home that doesn't use energy in the in the traditional sense, yeah. finding a contractor who could correctly source all of the materials and lead a team in a reasonable amount of time would be very, very difficult. Yeah. And so you've got all of these things that are happening. It's there, but like relief from it all is probably not coming 
anytime soon. So again, today we're going to focus on the incentives part of the equation, the things that the government has doing or is planning to do in the next couple of years to encourage you to take on more energy efficient projects in your homes and vehicles. I love it. All right. So let's start with cars. My least favorite (laughs) subject. I hate cars. Now, maybe at some point in my life, I may become a car guy, but like the chances of that, I think cars are so dumb. Yeah. Like that's, I I, I am, I will die on that hill. Like (laughs) (laughs) you'll never see me. I hate the fact that my son loves cars. Like that's how much I hate cars. I want you to go to therapy. Oh my God. All right. So let's start with cars and some of the incentives. If you tried to purchase uh, an electric vehicle in the last few years, it's been like, Hard. Really, really difficult. Yeah. Like the process has been crazy. Demand is high. They're expensive. There's limited inventory. There's like Teslas Weightless. waiting on yeah. a boat in the middle of the Gulf. <laughs> you got to pay to get on a wait list. There's all <laughs> kinds of hurdles that come with like trying to go green with respect to your automobile. One of the goals of the Inflation Reduction Act was to make it more affordable to build and purchase them. So electric vehicle makers got billions of dollars to support manufacturing and domestic sourcing and recycling for the materials like batteries and stuff. But for you, the customer, it includes a $7,500 tax credit for new electric vehicles and a $4,000 tax credit for used. And so these new credits replace the old incentive system, which only included a tax credit for new vehicles. And that was $7,500 too. That number hasn't changed. That's still a lot of money, yeah. uh, but that is your incentive now. So they've expanded it to include not just new vehicles, but now also used mm-hmm. electric vehicles, which is huge. Cause I, I don't even think a a lot of people even know that you can buy like used electric well vehicles. they do but people in the- intuitively believe that if you're gonna make that step from going from a gas to an electric vehicle like it just you know we're still well the market has been so wonky that the used evs actually cost more than the new ones because they're available right now so uh, people were paying a premium for used because they want it now versus going through the hurdles of the wait list yeah. so the market's been upside down got it got it okay All right. So in addition to that, there are a bunch of rules required to get this, like a bunch. There are like income (laughs) caps. Don't think it's going to be simple. Yeah. You don't just, (laughs) don't just go out there and buy any old electric vehicle and like, hey, where's my (laughs) $7,500? There are income caps. There are sticker price requirements. There are eligibility requirements for manufacturers that might limit what you get back. So Give you an example, the car's final assembly, which is one that I found most interesting. The the cars that are eligible for this tax credit, uh, one of the key components of it that will qualify them is that the final assembly has to be in North America, which mm-hmm. a lot of electric vehicles, a lot of cars in general just aren't. But starting in uh, January, January, I'm sorry, starting 2023, January 1st. Uh, electric cars that cost more than $55,000 and electric SUVs, vans, and pickup trucks that cost more than $80,000 don't qualify. Right. Nor- and that's the final price. That's not the Correct. MSRP. Correct. So once you add in all them fancy tires, that speaker, you know, Correct. your heated steering wheel, if that 
if the price of your car goes above 55 or if it's an SUV it's above 80, you don't get no credit. Yeah. So build, <laughs> like do the math before you go to the lot yeah. or before you go onto the website and order your vehicle. Uh, again, don't assume that just because it's an electric vehicle that it's going to be eligible. Right. Uh, there's another cap here. Consumers, car buyers who make more than $150,000 a year uh, who are single or couples who file their taxes jointly. And earn more than $300,000 are not eligible. Right. So all you rich people, you're Can't, not going to get. Yeah, you're not incentive. getting. This is for people who earn uh, individually less than $150,000 and couples who earn less than $300,000. Correct. Uh, it, it's super complicated. <laughs> if you have like a very like specific make or model in mind, you're getting all excited about it. Like calm down too because it, it's it's weird. <laughs> it's a very limited and complex <laughs> thing it's uh, one of those things that you want to reverse engineer you, you right do. like you do go like, the, the point is you can get the incentive but it's not a free-for-all right okay. so i i literally went to the u.s department of energy website uh, preparing for this and they had a list of cars that were likely to be eligible so it's still like <laughs> and i'm Edgy. saying this like with like yeah. <laughs> air quotes it was like bmw because there are just a lot of factors here but like the bmw 330e the chevy bolt the cadillac lyric uh the jeep grand cherokee phev the jeep wrangler phev all these cars are eligible but again like Based on the language used, like it feels like at any moment in time, they'll be like, "Uh," they they might expand it. But all that to say, like, this is just something to be generally mindful of if you're looking to make the jump. But don't like listen to me say a brand and say, I'm going to go out there and buy it and just bank on the fact that you're going to get a $7,500 or uh, any type of tax credit. Just make sure you read the fine print. Read the fine print. Or just hold off until you're absolutely sure that the make, model, and price point is is eligible. Right. All right. So that's cars. Let's move on to homes because you mentioned earlier this stat about hundreds of millions of houses saving billions of dollars every year. Yep. And a lot of that is because of this new law's residential tax credits which can be used for things like heat pumps, electric water heaters, electrical upgrades, and better insulation, right? So if you make these improvements on your residential home, you get these permanent savings if you're, you know, if you focus on kind of green upgrades. So for example, people who invest in an energy efficient heat pump water heater, which is apparently a thing. I guess most water heaters run off of gas. I'm not a water heater expert. Anyway, if you invest in an energy efficient water heater, you're eligible for a rebate that's a little over $1,700. If you upgrade your breaker box to prepare for having an all electric home, you may be eligible for like a $4,000 rebate. If you're there's a list of them. So if you're curious about what upfront discounts you may be eligible for, there's a calculator on a site called rewiringamerica.org. So again, not saying that you need to go out and just buy a, a water heater, but if you're in a position where you actually need to replace a water heater in the next couple of years, go ahead and look up what tax credits you may be eligible for because that may help you in your budgeting and planning. Yeah, especially when you're talking to a contractor and they're making those recommendations. Like more often than not, they they don't give you the details of the rebate. They don't really care about that stuff. They're right. just trying to sell you the unit and here's how much it's going to cost to install it. But you most likely, not, not not most likely, you should on the back end do your own research to see if that particular model based on any of the other details might actually be eligible uh, for a rebate. While we're talking about homes, I don't want to skip the kitchen. So of if you're course. like us, 
and you have a gas stove and you need to replace it, the Inflation Reduction Act provides a rebate of up to $840 for electric stoves, cooktops, ranges, or ovens to make it more affordable. Um, apparently, gas stoves leak methane even when they're not in use. Oh, wow. Unfun fact. <laughs> no, we, I, I thought you always had a preference for gas stove tops would you would you switch to electric yeah, so, for so, this so, type of incentive? so let's 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 get specific here because i think a lot of people when they think about electric stoves they think about like the, the stove tops i think about that spiral that yeah uh sort of wired thing. <laughs> oh the ones in the like apartment building yes yeah. that you see and, and i don't want to just because i'm pretty sure there's somebody that like has that right now. yeah like i mean i used to it's, have it's one. relevant right it's still out there but it's sort of the older model of what electric stoves and they're slow and they they're yeah. kind of smelly it's weird i do prefer gas stove tops the other thing i want to call out is the reason why they break it up is because like us, our stovetop is separate from our oven. So we have right. an electric oven now, uh, which works great. And in fact, I'm not even going to lie. I didn't even realize it was electric because we have a gas stovetop. I just assumed yeah. that there was gas feeding the oven. Uh, but we have an electric stove uh, with the microwave on top. And then separate from that, we have a stovetop, which is gas. So all of that to say, as you're thinking about renovations, that might be an option for you. It's something to think about. You don't have to have the all-in-one unit. You might be able to get a little bit of both and then get a bit of an incentive on the back end. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about a few other uh, rebates. There are also rebates for things like heat pump water heaters and for insulation. But the primary takeaway here is that American homes use a ton, I mean, a ton of energy and don't really produce like any return. Yeah. <laughs> so according to the Department of Energy, uh, residential buildings account for more than 20% of the nation's energy consumption, which is about 70% more than an average car wow. on an annual basis, right? Just to kind of sort of put that in perspective. So most of that comes from two things. One, as you can guess, temperature control, air conditioners, which just use like a ton of energy. Yeah. Uh, and then it just all goes outside. We're literally cooling the earth with our air conditioners. So congratulations, guys. <laughs> My grandma but was this right. Is, your grandma was right. <laughs> but this is mostly true because like we just in general have really poorly insulated walls yeah. and really thin windows that just allow the air to escape, which just leads us to continually to turn on the have the more. air conditioning yeah. on and on. Uh, the second one is the appliances that heat things like water or keep our food cold, the washers and the dryers of the world. Like those really big, fancy and oftentimes expensive appliances that we all have in our homes uh, consume a lot of energy. And so uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is offering fewer rebates for pretty much everything and anything that you can think of to that is going to yeah. encourage people to use less energy. So that's a good thing. And it's definitely something that we should all be thinking about yeah. uh, as we're looking to make upgrades. I just feel like this is important to like you got to look at this stuff as as incremental improvements over a long period of time, yeah. which I know is a little jargony. But like I, I get the upfront savings on things you needed to replace anyway. Like if our stove was on its last leg, sure, I'd sign up for a little government coupon. But I think the real benefit here is when you have multiple things working in your favor. Yeah. So when you just look at one thing, like just saving money on power because of cheaper energy, you've got the efficient washer dryer, whatever it is, 
American households are projected to save between $175 and $220 a year. Like it's, it's fine. It's good money. Like saving $200 a year is something we would encourage people to do. But if you were to do a bunch of things like replace your furnace with an electric version or install solar panels on your rooftop or change to an EV. Now you're saving something like $1,800 a year. Now we, now we cooking with grease and, and you're helping the planet at the same time. So I think it's easy to write off these little things like, Oh, you need to, you know, get a a, a electric stovetop to save $17 a year. (laughs) But like, you really have to think about it over time. And and add them all together to 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 see like what the full potential is. And that isn't done enough to your point, right? More often than not, it's us looking at individual items. Like, are you and, and it, you can look at it and it's like a light bulb and say, yeah, are you willing to pay you know twice as much for this light bulb yeah. and it's going to save you and it's like cents on yeah. the dollar. That's not really enough to motivate most people. Most people. But to your point, when you add in all of the things together. You know, then you might be able to help justify sort of the total electric makeover that somebody might be considering. Uh, But again, I don't really see anyone or very many people looking at it that way because they're sort of stuck by the sticker shock. First of all, Um, total electric makeover should be an HGTV show. (laughs) And even including things like sticker shock, like I can I can see the show in my head (laughs) because it just it just makes sense. Yeah, Do you know come anybody back to that's this episode when, 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 when that drops? <laughs> it, it literally makes me think of solar panels, which used to be kind of like a weird thing that you see on occasional houses that yeah. you drive by, but now I see them pretty frequently. Do you really? know anybody that's gotten solar panels? No, I don't know anyone who's gotten solar panels. I know, I know of people, right? Like no, no one that I know on a personal level. There's a guy named Steve. Uh, I think we met him once a couple of years ago, but he's like an off the gritter uh, kind of guy. So <laughs> like, that's like literally like he's, I think he lives in the desert somewhere. Him and his wife, like they have solar panels. Now they do have shows about off the grid people, which I think are fascinating. Like yeah. between them and the Alaskan Bush people, I love watching shows that like have people finding energy alternatives and like food alternatives. It's just, it like appeals to the prepper in me. In case we ever have to get a bunker or something. Yeah. So so let's talk about solar panels a little bit. Because I, I do remember, it feels like maybe like 10 years ago, there was a a, a blip. There was a period of time where, where it felt like they were like door-to-door salesmen or something Yes, like because there was another incentive. Okay. That makes sense. That's what I thought. That mm-hmm. there was a moment where they were basically out here communicating, hey, there's an incentive now. It's the time to do it before mm-hmm. it goes away. Yeah. And then it just sort of went away. Like I... I at the time, thought that this was going to be something that continued, but looks like it went away. It I, didn't go away. It's it's, oh, it's okay. actually increased because of the act. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm, I'm on the don't knock list, <laughs> which is fine with me because I think they came around a couple of times. I was like, no, like, I'm not doing that. Um, but look at me sitting here. And now, yeah, now, now, look at now look at you. With a high electric bill. <laughs> so did some digging around. I went to the website for Consumer Affairs. Uh, here's some fun facts about solar panels. The average size home will cost between uh, to, to to purchase and install solar panels around um, or between eleven thousand and fourteen thousand dollars. If wow. you're just looking for a small panel for like a tiny project or like a quick DIY kind of thing, they'll be around two hundred to two hundred and fifty dollars per panel. 
The website also states that the average home will need around 30 panels to supply 100% of their energy needs. So you can do a combination of both. Like you can just get a couple to help offset uh, some of your electric needs, or you can just do the whole thing. But even if you just do that math, if you're saying the average homes are going to need around 30 and the average cost is around 200 and 250, like that only gets us halfway through to the uh, stat around the average total cost being 11,000 to 14,000. And that's where like add on services, installation and all those other things sort of come in. So that's the sort of number or going back to the sticker shock that you guys need to be thinking about. And I think that's part of the challenge where you say, all right, it's going to cost me, let's just say $12,000 and I'm going to save $200 a month. You can do some really quick sort of math and say like, Oh, it'll pay for itself after like six or seven years. (laughs) That doesn't really feel like much of a deal unless you are just at a point where you're, flush with cash and you're willing to do that. Last thing I'll say is like all expensive purchases, uh, which I found fascinating, is that there are financing opportunities available for solar panels, which also feels like so backwards to me. And it's like, all right, so you can't afford the upfront costs. Fine. Here's a financing opportunity, basically a loan. Uh, Obviously, there are going to be fees and interests associated with that. But like that feels like that's just going to offset the cost of Mm-hmm. saving to me. So it mm-hmm. doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I think this is part of the reason why there's not been like so much mass uh, adoption here. So there really just, I think, needs to be like greater incentives around how to deal uh, or how to install or when or whether or not people should install solar panels. Well, it's it's going to be varied based on my studying the electricity wholesale market. <laughs> Again, some people feel the pain more than others. And when you're talking about traditionally employed people who have a very fixed budget every month, it may make sense to do the upfront cost of solar panels. Even if it does have a financing aspect, it would still be lower than that monthly electric bill during the summer to heat, you know, these hundred year old houses or to cool these hundred year old houses. I actually have a homegirl who got them installed on her house here in Georgia because she runs a hair salon from her garage. And so her electricity bill was always crazy. Now she has since moved. Mm. <laughs> so, and the good news is that I don't know how much the panels like may have added to her home value. That was going to be my question. But Zillow reported that houses with solar powers, actually solar powers. Solar powers. <laughs> houses. Houses with powers of the sun. <laughs> Anyway, they sell for like 4% higher than houses that don't. That seems negligible. Yeah, it's it's and it's hard to equate like whether that's because of the solar power or some other fair. I'm assuming they did their their, you know, due diligence and controlled for variables. That feels like a fresh coat of paint to me. (laughs) (laughs) I bet if you looked at the data, like a fresh coat of paint. Will boost your housing resale value by 4%. Oh, you should get solar panels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is just one of those things that you get when you're thinking in terms of decades, because that's to your point about recouping your investment. Like it happens over decades. Now, the federal law, this new act, gives you a tax credit of up to 30% for households that invest in clean energy like solar. It's not the only thing that is included in the 30%. But your state may have separate incentives. So do your do your Googles to figure out like, because I think the way this is going to work is that the, the funding is handed down to the states and the states will either mix it in their budget and create a richer incentive or they'll just pass it on through. Yeah. But like 
it's very, it's not, you know, it's very similar to the car credit. Like you need to do your research. It ain't something you can just upload a receipt and be like, give me my 30%. I, I'm really glad we did this podcast because as I think about like, we're not in our forever home right now. We're in right. our intermediary home. It's definitely something that I would think about for my forever home, yeah. right? Like getting and installing solar panels just because it gives me one lesson. Like when I'm old and crusty, I, <laughs> I, I want, want no fewer things <laughs> to think about. I don't, listen, I don't want to go to the mail. I don't want to check the website, <laughs> I, nothing, right? So it's like, if that's just less for me to even think about, and just makes me a little bit more like I don't want to be off the grid, but like, you know, sort of unplugged from all these other things that the rest of the world deals with. <laughs> I, I I would be down to get this. So call me when I'm 50. Let's talk about this in a couple more years. All right. So final thoughts. Let's do it. I feel like I kind of gave my final thought earlier in the, <laughs> in the sense that this episode feels very like futuristic. It feels very like, God, with all the things, thing, all everything going on, y'all talking about climate change and solar panels. <laughs> but the point is to plant a seed, right? Because it's absolutely something that you should plan to phase into your life and into your buying decisions. Like for me, the only word that kind of comes to mind when I think about the climate crisis is that it's looming for most people. We're kind of just watching cities and countries get decimated. And if you haven't been affected yet, it's kind of like, wow, that sucks for them. But once you understand the domino effect, you can understand how some people were very eager to pass this bill to give people an incentive to start to do their part, right? So the government is addressing this the way that they address everything else, which is through the market. <laughs> they are giving us tons of tax credits and incentives, and their goal is to kind of reshape the market's supply and demand curves for, for clean energy. But as you know, we can't really rely on policymakers to solve every single problem. It can absolutely drive progress, but there are alternatives and options that are available to you right now. So I guess my final thought the longest final thought ever. But I guess my final thought is to take small steps in the right direction that kind of save you money over time while making a dent in changing and improving the planet. Listen, I don't know that I'm that different. I, like I'm trying to squeeze like three final thoughts into one. So the first one is anytime I hear the word crisis, you know, in terms of like, what needs to be done? Like, just know that whenever there's a crisis, it's going to require both government and people right. to solve it, right? Like, it doesn't matter which crisis we're talking about. You cannot rely on just one. You need, like, everyone involved and focused to help get that done. And I don't think this issue uh, is any different. Secondly, I'm not an expert. My good friend Tanya Hester is. Mm -hmm. She's the author of Work Optional and wrote an amazing book called Wallet Activism. That was her most recent book. And I pulled a quick quote from it, uh, which is to say, or, and she says, at some point, we'll be forced to make a switch. And it's better not to have spent money in the meantime on devices that burned more fossil fuels only to see these purchases become obsolete. And so mm -hmm. when you think about what we can do today, let that be your encouragement to start incorporating these things now because it's going to happen, mm -hmm. right? Like just like everything else, like it's not even going to be a choice anymore. So do yourself a favor and stop investing in the old way yeah. of doing things. Like don't go out and buy a Hummer. They're actually making an electric Hummer. They are. It's $100,000. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> My final, final, final thought is going back to the top with this idea of going green. I also think like language 
is powerful. And I think that the term or the phrase uh, going green is is one that we probably need to just like let it die somewhere. Like mm-hmm. it's a very empty and shallow catch-all term and it doesn't really do much to highlight the urgency of the issue at hand. And while we're talking about financial incentives, like we are also talking about climate change. It's a very urgent and serious issue. And and I think that's why the term sustainability is a better term and more commonly used term right now. So for anyone who hasn't really given this a lot of thought, I I hope that that's something that you can really start to think about and incorporate. Um, Because I think that term sustainability uh, better describes uh, and speaks to the issue that we're trying to uh, resolve, which is our ridiculous reliance on fossil fuels that do harm to our planet. And so when we think about obviously the the financial incentives and all and even just money in general, like what good is it if we can't go outside? Yeah. <laughs> like what what good is it if like we are living in a state of constant drought and concern about natural uh, disasters and weather patterns destroying your home that you just put solar panels on? Yeah. Like what is the point, right? And yeah. so like we have to start looking at this issue with a, a higher sense of urgency. And I'll stop there before we sort of like delve into more <laughs> political things, but I think you know, our energy system today, I think about it the same way I think about like typewriters. Like, yes, it it works, but it's pretty inefficient. Right. I like that. I like that. Okay. All right. Steal my my, my (laughs) thought. Get your own thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. As my friend Kermit the Frog says, it ain't easy being green, but it is easy to leave us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. I think y'all know how I feel about that one. <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm hitting you with the fozzy tomatoes right now. <laughs> wow. Whatever. We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>